Well, tonight is our last Wednesday night before we break for the holidays. We'll be off from Thanksgiving through Christmas. And, uh, you know, so you can, if, if you're one of those ones, because I, we hear it on both sides, but if you're, if you're one of those ones that you're like, well, I hate it when we don't do Wednesday nights because I just love coming so much. First of all, I'm flattered. Amen. I thank you for that. And I think God is flattered. Praise God for that. But uh, what you can do is you can go back online and you can listen to some ones that you've missed. We've just got hundreds of sermons and sermon series that uh, it would be good to go back and catch up on. You can always do that. And, um, and then I know also some in the church that uh, like to get together, you know, friends and, and study the Word of God together. That, that You can do that too for that short time that we're off. But tonight we are going to continue in the book of Acts. We're on week 39. We're in chapter 21. And we're going to pick up in verse 15 tonight. Acts chapter 21 verse 15. Now, where we went left off last week is that um, Paul was headed to Jerusalem. He had finished up his third missionary journey. He was headed to Jerusalem, and three different times he had people, uh, believers, friends that loved him, try to persuade him not to go to Jerusalem. You remember that? And even some by the Spirit, they had information by the Holy Spirit or through prophecy that he was going to have major problems in Jerusalem. But Paul already knew that. The Holy Spirit had already shown him that. And he knew that even in spite of that, he was supposed to continue going to Jerusalem. So, you know, he, he knew that just because there was trouble ahead, it didn't mean that it wasn't the will of God. And uh, this is an important lesson, really, for every believer. Because some people aren't led by the Spirit. They're led by other things. You know, and if you're led by other things... And you could in, in, in anything. I mean, it could be anything. I'll give you a couple examples in just a minute. But if you're led by anything other than the Holy Spirit, you know, in you, then you're liable to make mistakes and get off. Like I hear, sometimes I've heard people say, "Man, I knew it was God because just everything was so easy, and and the door, every door was opening, and everything was just so easy." Well, did you know just because it's easy, it's not God? And on the other hand, I've heard people say just the opposite. <laughs> They say, well, I knew it wasn't God because nothing was working out. And it was hard, and, it, and nothing, everything, everything we tried wasn't working out. And so I knew it wasn't God. Well, did you know just because it's hard, that doesn't mean it's not God. So you can't be led either way. I've had things in the will of God that were easy. I've had things in the will of God that were very, very, very hard. And it's not really whether it's easy or whether it's hard that will tell you whether or not God's in it. You know, not saying that that can't be maybe a clue to you, but that, that by itself doesn't tell us whether or not God is in something. And Paul knew that. Thank God he knew that. And there was a little confusion on some of the part of the other believers. But Paul knew, yeah, it is hard. It is going to be persecution, difficulty, jail time, you know, floggings, things like that. that. That is what's awaiting me, but that doesn't mean I'm not supposed to go. Actually, I think the reason why God has been warning me of this is just to prepare me so I can prepare my mind and heart of what I'm about to have to go through. So that's kind of where we left off. And so they're getting ready to head up to Jerusalem. Now, Acts chapter 21, verse 15. It says, after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Nason of Cyprus, an early disciple 
with whom we should lodge. So uh, this gentleman here mentioned Nason. He says that he was an early disciple. Sometimes uh, people have thought that maybe he was a disciple from Jesus' ministry because they, there was a lot more disciples than, than just the 12. Maybe he was one in the early part of the book of Acts. That was part of the 120. But either way, it gives this designation that he was an early disciple. So he was not a recent convert. He's someone that's been around for a while and the church is known for a while. And uh, another thing that you know, stands out to me about people like this, and you get a lot of people like this in Scripture. They're just mentioned one time. They're never mentioned again. You know, but their name is forever recorded in Scripture. That's, it's just interesting to me that the inspired Word of God by the Holy Spirit thought it important to mention this person's name and say, here's what they did, here's how they contributed to the gospel. And you get a lot of people like that in the Bible, a lot of names that are mentioned one time. And, they, and usually they did something really simple. You know? And all this guy did was, it says he opened up his house for Paul, you know, Paul and some of the brothers to stay for a few days. And, and, and that's all he did. And if anything, that ought to just tell you that even the most insignificant thing that is done as under the Lord or done in the name of the Lord, that it's, it's significant to God and it means something to God. And I believe it's recorded. I believe it's recorded. I believe it's written down and God knows every single one of those things. Every time you've helped someone that nobody knew about, every time that you've encouraged someone, every time you've gone out of your way, sacrificed for someone, every time, God knows and he keeps track of it. Just like this guy here, we, for all of eternity, his name is in the Bible as the guy that opened his house for a few days to let Paul stay there and we all get to read about it. So it means a lot to God. Verse 17 when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. Now, remember, this is the Jerusalem church. Now, the Jerusalem church was the mother church. It was the, the biggest church of all the churches. It was sort of like the first church. Not only, you know, the, all the ones that were saved on the day of Pentecost and, you know, the several thousand that were saved, uh, some of them separated, but a lot of them are still here. This is where uh, Peter, James, and John... The big three, you know, this is their home church, and they're kind of helping lead this church. So this is the, these are the big boys, you know, so to speak. And Paul, at this time, wasn't really part of that group. You know, Paul was not, Paul was not considered, he was not an original disciple. He was not an, uh, an original apostle. He came late to the game, right? He wasn't really like an eyewitness with Christ, he came late to the game. People were skeptical of him. Barnabas pulled him aside, you remember? But then they went off to Antioch, and then they, they kind of went off on their missionary journeys and did their thing. And so they, they plowed their own path, took their own path. But if you read the whole New Testament, you kind of see that there was this little bit of, well, at, be at best, awkward relationship between Paul and some of these other apostles, okay? And you, you get that from several places in the New Testament. I mean, at one point, uh, you know, Peter, Paul confronts Peter, <laughs> and, and it's recorded in Scripture. You know, if it wasn't embarrassing enough at that time, now it's recorded in Scripture for everybody to read about. He confronts Peter in front of other apostles, other believers, and basically calls him a hypocrite. You know, so there was this sort of awkward relationship. It doesn't mean that they didn't get along. It doesn't mean they didn't like each other. It doesn't mean they didn't, you know, consider themselves brothers in Christ. They did, 
But it was just unusual. Part of the reason it was unusual was because you had Peter, James, and John, and they were the clear leaders, the clear head. You know, Jesus had said, Peter, you are the rock, and, and you know, the church is going to be built on this revelation that you had, that God gave you. And they were the clear leaders of the church. Well, then Paul came and almost is not really like submitted to their authority in a way. Like he would be submitted to their authority if he were in their jurisdiction, but he's off on his own doing his thing. And really he looks at himself as just directly submitted to God. Now, if you're not Paul the apostle, that's not really a good way to view things. But for Paul, that was what he said. He even said like the, the gospel that I have, I didn't get it from man. You know, I didn't, and what he's really saying is I didn't learn this from Peter, James, and John. He said, I, I got this gospel directly from God, directly from Jesus. He appeared to me. I had, you know, these visions about it. So it was, it was di- you know, he was different. And I don't think the early church, especially the apostles, quite exactly knew what to do with Paul exactly. It was like, you're over here doing your thing, and we, and we can see there's fruit in it, and we love you, and we support you, and we're over here doing our thing. And, and we know God's with you, but it's still this kind of awkward relationship in some ways. And you're going to see that even in this passage. You're going to continue to see that here. So he comes to Jerusalem, and he says, The brothers received us gladly. On the following day, verse 18, On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. So Paul goes in. He meets with James and the other elders of the church. Now, we need to clarify for just a moment who James is, because there's actually several James in Scripture, and it can be confusing. So we have James, the brother of Jesus. All right, you read about, uh, if you read the Gospels, you've read about James, the brother of Jesus. And in the Gospels, all of Jesus' brothers are doubtful, skeptical. They're not followers. They're not disciples. And any of them that followed Christ didn't happen until after he died. So there was that James, James, the brother of Jesus. Then there were two disciples named James. There was James, son of Alphaeus. Then there was the one that most people are more familiar with, which is James, uh, the brother of John, who was a son of Zebedee. So he and John were called the sons of thunder. You remember that? So whenever people talk about Peter, James, and John being the big three, it's that James. James and his brother John and Peter, they were the, they were the closest disciples to Jesus. Some, some people call them the inner three All right, so there's that James. Then there's the disciple, James, the son of Alphaeus, kind of a lesser-known disciple. Then there was James, the brother of Jesus. Well, James, the brother of John, the one of the inner three, you'll remember that he was the James that was killed in Acts chapter 12. So when Herod had James beheaded, that, that happened in Acts chapter 12. So that James is out of the picture. The James that we have here who was the leader of the Jerusalem church. Now, you might would have thought that Peter would have been the leader of the Jerusalem church, but Peter was, was traveling so much, planting churches and things like that, that he was not the one designated for that. It was James. So the James that we have here that's leading the church is James, the brother of Jesus, which is interesting because he wasn't a disciple, and he didn't get saved uh, or saved. You know, He didn't become a follower of Christ until after the resurrection. 
And so that's who is leading the Jerusalem church. This is also the same James that wrote the book of James um, in the Bible. And again, this is something that obviously can be very confusing for people. Sometimes people think the book of James was written by, you know, the James of Peter, James, and John, one of the disciples. That's not the case. The book of James was written by James, the Lord's brother. All right, hope we got that, uh, but just so you're clear on all that, all right? So this is who's the leader of the Jerusalem church that Paul's meeting with. So on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. Verse 19, after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Now, what he's relating to them is essentially what has happened in the three missionary journeys that we've been studying for, the la- for this whole semester. We started on the first missionary journey and went through the other two and the planting of the, all the Galatian churches and then the Ephesus church and Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinthians and all of that, all those churches being planted and him revisiting them and all the work that God's been doing among the, the Jews and the Gentiles, this is what Paul's relating to them. So he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. Now, let me pause right here because... He, he relays to them all that God's been doing through his ministry. And they are no doubt excited about it. Um, they, they, as they said, as it says, they glorified God. But really, they have another concern on their mind. And we're about to get to what that is. They have something else that they're worried about with Paul. And, uh, and they're very tactful and diplomatic about how they go about it. So that's, this is what they're beginning to describe now. They said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have beliefs. So you see, the Jerusalem church was very large, thousands, literally. They're all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Now, this is where things get a little hairy because... In large part, in, well, in a lot of ways, this is sort of true. I mean, Paul, let, let's read what, they, what they're accusing him of before, okay? It says, uh, they've been told that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Now, what you have going on here is you have a, a difference of opinion about how Christians, followers of Christ, how they are to follow the law, Old Testament law. And you can automatically, from the very first statement, you can see that they're not on the same page. You can see that they're not on the same page, that the the leaders of the Jerusalem church are not on the same page with Paul. Now, they're probably not too far off, but they're just not on the same page. And at this point of the church... They are in a transitional period of leaving behind the law to where we're at today, where we live, we live totally by faith and grace. And by the way, the reason why we live by faith and grace today has everything to do with Paul's revelation on this topic. I mean, the whole New Testament is filled with explanation of how we're not bound to the law, we're free from the law, and 
Hello. That's, it's going to be mama. So anybody, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, that one was just too loud. We couldn't avoid it. Um, but, but, and even now there are still, like Christians still sort of debate over this. You know, what, how are we responsible to follow the law? And, and what parts of the law are we responsible for? Well, you can see for a Jew how this was even more of a sticky topic. And so one of the issues they had, one of the kind of conclusions they came to was, well, if you're a Jew and you become saved, you still have to follow the law. If you're a Gentile and you're saved, you don't have to follow the law. Right, so that you can see where this, and then the question will, becomes, well, then why? If we're all saved by grace and we're all saved the same way through faith in Christ, even if, what, what does my ethnicity matter? What does it matter? Because didn't, didn't Paul say that in Christ there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor female? So if, if we're all saved by grace, even though I'm a Jew, why am I having to, to follow this now? But for some, it was just too mind-blowing that for thousands of years, you know, all we had was Moses and the prophets, and this was the, the way, it was so sacred, and, it was, and now you're saying that in large part, that we don't have to follow this, and we're supposed to do this, and, and what's really happening here is a progressive revelation of what actually happened on the cross, and, and the disciples... And I'm going to exclude Paul from this because Paul was not one of the 12. He's not really a disciple, even though he was an apostle. The disciples had a really clear understanding of the physical life of Jesus and physically what happened on the cross. But the, the extent of what they understood, at least in the beginning, was that he died for our sin. Okay? That he was the lamb that was slain. Right, All the lamb sacrifices in the Old Testament... They were just pointing to Jesus, and they had that understanding. But it was Paul that lays out in the New Testament the deeper understanding of what was really going on in the cross and puts the whole thing together, how everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. And, and Paul had this revelation way before everybody else. Now, now, eventually, I think everybody came along on it, but... But Paul is the one that directly got this revelation for God and from God. And if it wasn't for Paul, we wouldn't understand what we understand about it today. Okay, so this is kind of a sticky situation where Paul knows something, Paul understands something, but now you've got the Jerusalem church saying, you know, hey, you're not following the law. You're teaching people not to follow the law. We don't think that's what you really mean, but you're confusing people. So, you know, can you clarify? That's kind of what's going on here, all right? So they, they bring this up to him, and they say, look, um, we have thousands of people who are here that are Jews. They're very zealous for the law. They're very zealous for Moses and the prophets, okay? But they've believed on Christ. But they've been told that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. And you can, you can see from the way it's written that they, they they're, what they're kind of saying is, we know that's not what you're teaching, but can you clarify that to them? And what I would say as reading this is, well, it kind of is what he teaches. I mean, if you, read, if you read the New Testament, it kind of is what he's teaching. All right, and I'm going to read you some of Paul's own words from 
from just several different passages. All right, this is Romans 6, 14. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. This is very typical of Paul's revelation. You're not under the law, not obligated to the law, not held accountable by the law. You're living under the law of grace. You're not saved by the law. You're saved by grace. All right, this is all of his teaching is filled with this. Romans 10, 1, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. Man, it almost feels like he's explaining the exact situation that we're reading about in Acts. He says, I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge or not according to correct knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they did not submit to God's righteousness, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So his whole message was you don't obtain righteousness through the law. He's not even so much telling them that they don't have to follow the law. Okay, they're not, because we know, man, I'm trying to explain this clearly. I know it can get, uh, you can get bogged down in it. But the, the Old Testament law was composed of a bunch of different uh, parts that can kind of be broken into three sections, which is like ceremonial and worship. Like that'd be all the sacrifices and things like that. Civil like rules for basically how to govern, and then moral, moral laws, like the Ten Commandments, you, you know, don't kill, don't steal. And what Paul does in the New Testament is explain that the moral law is still intact. You still don't kill, you don't steal, you don't murder, you don't think like that. But, but how we worship God, how we approach God, all that has changed. Okay, so things, for example, like uh, washings, how you, how you wash, that's done away with. Circumcision. Now, you got to understand, well, gosh, we could really get bogged down in this. But circum- circumcision was, this was the sign of the covenant, okay? It, 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 what there, this is like non-negotiable. If you want, if you want in to the family of God, this is, this is the physical sign of it. And if you were a foreigner who came in, you had to be circumcised if you want to be part of the family of God. This, so this is not a small thing to them. This is a big thing. And Paul's saying, nope, you don't need it. It's not important. Uh, as a matter of fact, Galatians 5.2, he's explaining to the Galatians because the Galatians were saved by grace, saved through, through faith, and now they're wanting to go back and follow the law. And he, he, the whole book of Galatians is, is fighting that mentality. The whole book of Galatians is explaining, if you go back and try to follow the law, then what was the point of Christ? What was the point of Christ dying on the cross? Okay? Um, so and, and if you go back and try to follow the law, then you don't just get to you don't just have to keep a few points, you have to keep everything. And this is what he's explaining in Galatians 5 2. He says, Look, I Paul say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. This is very strong. If you're trying to be made right with God this way, he's saying, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. This is how serious it is. So, does Paul have a problem with circumcision? No. Not, not, but unless you think, and unless you're trying to be made right with God through that, and through the law and other aspects of the law. He uses circumcision as an example. 
But any type of going back and following the law um, in order to be made right with God, talking about Old Testament law, he said, no, you are severed from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. And so the message of the New Testament is, is that they are two different systems. Two totally different systems that cannot be reconciled. Either we work for our righteousness and salvation is, wa- our, is wages due, or we do not work for our righteousness and salvation is a free gift. It's one of the two. It's, it, it, they're not reconcilable. That's the revelation that Paul gives in the New Testament. But you can see at this moment in the book of Acts, they're not all totally on the same page with that. They are not totally clear on that. So, again, go back and look what they said. They said, "We look, we've got thousands of Jews um, who believed. They are zealous for the law. They have been told that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. That's not true. He did, he's not teaching them to forsake Moses, but you did read what he said. Yeah, I mean, I just read it to you. It is pretty strong. Not, he would never say to forsake Moses. Matter of fact, he has whole sections in the New Testament where he talks about the value of the law and how, how it still is valuable today, but just not for righteousness. Not, not, not to receive salvation. Okay? So, uh, to teaching to forsake Moses, that's not true. Telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs, well, maybe that, might, that part might be true from what I read. Okay, so there definitely was some truth here, even though it was misunderstood as to why he was doing it. He was trying to get them to see that there are two different systems. So continuing in verse 22, the, the elders of the church are still talking to Paul, and they say, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you to do. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. (laughs) So you you can clearly see where the elders at the Jerusalem church fall. They're talking, if I was to put it in my own words, here's basically what they're saying. They're, they, these guys think that you have forsaken the law, you're telling people not to get circumcised. We know that's true. We know that's not true. We know you yourself follow the law and you observe the law. So why don't you do this as an example to show them that you really are a follower of the law? Now, if I'm Paul, what I, what I would be thinking is, nah, we got a problem here. <laughs> we got a problem here because... We all know that Paul actually does not live in observance of the law, not like they're talking about. Not like they're talking about. And when he, when he does confront Peter, that's one of the things that he says. Because this is what was happening. When, when Peter was with the Gentiles, he was acting just like a normal Gentile. He was eating like a Gentile, drinking the same way, following the same rules and laws, relaxing all of these requirements of the law and all that. He was just like a Gentile. Then these same Jews that he's talking about here, these Jews from Jerusalem, some of them showed up who were sticklers for the law, and Peter started acting totally different. He didn't sit with the Gentiles anymore. He went and sat over here with them, and that's when Paul had had enough, and he stood up and he said, you are a hypocrite. 
He said, because, because you yourself, even though you're a Jew, you live like a Gentile. So this was, again, one of those things that it's just hard to reconcile. It, it almost feels like Peter was... Because it's almost like Peter was beginning to have the revelation that this is okay. But in certain groups, he was still acting another way because he didn't want to offend them or bother them or whatever. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to us, but it's a big topic of Scripture, If you actually, if you're going to understand it. It's one of the big things that is discussed throughout the whole New Testament. So Paul has a very difficult choice here. Very difficult situation. They're asking him to prove to these Jews that he actually does observe the law and that there's nothing to what they're saying. But that's really not true. I mean, he, he has said some of those things and he has taught some of those things and really he's not a follower of the law. Now, when we read through the book of Acts, we do see instances where Paul's doing things from the law. Not a problem, right? He took, he took a what, we, what seemed to be the Nazarite vow. You remember if you were here when we were going through that part uh, where Paul had taken a Nazarite vow. But that was just of his own free will. He's not doing that to, to gain any kind of righteousness. Like for an example would be in our church, we do fasting every year, right? We do fasting at the beginning of the year. And some, sometimes uh, people from the church will follow something called the Daniel fast. And in the book of Daniel, Daniel fasted. And he, he kind of lays out a way that he did it for 21 days. And sometimes people will do that. Well, are we doing that to follow the law? Or are we just doing that out of our own free will to the Lord just because we think it would be a good thing to do? We're not doing it as a... We don't think that it's a requirement of the law for righteousness or for salvation. There are things we may do from the Old Testament, uh, but they're not, to, they're not to obtain righteousness. And that's a big... That is a big difference. Even for, even for modern day Christians, there are certain denominations that have this very much entrenched in their mind. It's like we have to do certain things to gain salvation or to gain repentance even. That's anti-gospel. It's anti-Paul's message. There's nothing that you do to earn God's salvation or there's nothing that you do to earn Forgiveness, it is a free gift. And I think this is one of the reasons why people have such a hard time receiving it is because our minds just, no matter what, we're so hardwired to work, earn, work, earn, that it's, it's hard to get this in us that it's a free, it's a free gift. Does that, does that take away the need to do good works? Does that take away the need to live holy? No, not at all. Not at all. Uh, but what it's a, and it's a big distinction. But what we're saying is, you're not doing those things to obtain, obtain or purchase salvation. I think of it uh, the, in my terms. The easiest way that I think of it is a marriage relationship. You know, a marriage relationship that is based on grace and love and mercy. That's that's a good marriage. But like, and and if I get you, if I get my wife an anniversary gift or a birthday gift, um, to earn her love, that's a little bit sick, right? That's a little bit... That, that, it, in other words, I should do it because I love her, not because I'm trying to get something from her. And to the average person watching, it may not seem like a big difference, but it's a huge difference. 
It's a huge decision. If, if I give you a gift because I'm, I'm trying to get something from you, or I'm trying to earn your love or your friendship, that's a little bit dysfunctional versus I fully trust that you love me and are devoted to me and committed to me for life, and I'm doing this just out of my heart because I love you. That's the way that God wants the, his people to serve him. And if you're doing that, if you're following the law, it's a totally different approach to God. So God wanted to set us free from that, and he wanted us to follow him out of our conscience, follow him out of our love for him. So this, it's so much. I mean, we could keep going. We could, we could just spend so much time here, but we'll, we'll try to stick to this, this study in the book of Acts, all right? So they're asking him to prove that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So this really created a serious conundrum for Paul because he did follow parts of the law, but it was by faith and conscience as we do today. Basically, he was following the, the Old Testament the same way that we would today. All right, so if he does this, uh, they're asking him to prove that he lives in observance of the law, which... He doesn't, but even if he did, uh, it wouldn't be true to what he really believes. You know, he, he couldn't, he, so now he's in, a, he's in a difficult place here because he's got the elders of the Jerusalem church asking him to do this, but it doesn't exactly match his lifestyle. So, and it kind of goes against a lot of what he's, what he's taught. Um, but also, if he doesn't do it, then he'll be you know, he'll be cut off from these Jews and he'll have no opportunity to explain the revelation that he has on this topic. Verse 25, they keep going. So uh, let's actually read verse 24 again. It says, Take these men, purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there's nothing in what they have uh, been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. Here, what they're really saying here is they're acknowledging that Gentiles are not under the same rules. And, and what they're referring to here is, you remember there was this discussion where they said, well, what about the Gentiles who are saved? Are they supposed to follow the law? They said, no. They don't have to follow the law. Basically, they just need to abstain from meat sacrificed to idols. In another place, they just say idol worship. They need to abstain from idol worship and sexual immorality. And if they do those things, they'll be doing really well. Okay? So he, they're acknowledging, look, we already have acknowledged that the Gentiles don't have to follow the law, but the Jews still do. Verse 26, Paul does what you might not expect him to do. Verse 26, then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. Now the question is, why did Paul do this? Why, knowing what we know about Paul, what he believed, what he taught, why did he go ahead and do this? Well, we, some people have made the argument that he shouldn't have done it. And that he made a mistake. And one of the evidences for that is, is that it didn't work anyway. Go read the rest of the passage. It did not appease them. They got mad anyway. They arrested him. And everything happened just the same. It did absolutely nothing. 
Okay, it did not appease anyone, and even though the elders were saying, oh, do this, and it, it'll prove to them that actually all these things they've said is not true. It did no such thing. He did exactly what they said. They still got mad. They still got upset. They still arrested him, and he goes to prison anyway. So an argument could be made. Well, he shouldn't have, actually. He should have just stuck to what he, what he believed and not made that appeal. But you can see why he did it. And it's not because Paul is a weak person, not because Paul was afraid of confrontation. I can tell you that Paul had one thing in mind, unity and love. And we all face this issue. I mean, as a pastor, I face this issue all the time. It, what, what issues do you kind of push to the side so that we can have unity? I mean, if not, you get what we have today, which is there's a thousand churches and none of them talk to each other. <laughs> And, and everybody's, you know, they're over here doing that, and, and nobody talks to Well, because we disagree about this one little thing. Okay, well, we, let's put that aside then, and let's focus on what we do agree on. And that's kind of what he's trying to do here, I think. But it doesn't work anyway. It doesn't appease anyone. But I can definitely relate to this. You know, I, I can definitely understand what, what he's trying to do here, because... I'll give you an example of things that have happened in our church. And I think it's different than this, but you'll, you'll understand uh, where I'm coming from. You know, there, are, uh, si- there have been situations where maybe there were leaders in our church that had very uh, strong political opinions. And they put those political opinions on social media or Facebook or whatever. And that's their prerogative, right? Nothing, nothing wrong with that. You can, you can do that. Uh, you know, there's lots of reasons why it may or may not be a good idea, whatever. But you, you can do that. But I've had to have conversations with people in the past and say, look, let me, let me explain that there's something going on bigger than what you might be seeing because there are people in our church that they don't share that opinion. Now, while I may share that opinion that you put out there, I'm not posting those things on social media, and I'm not talking about them from the pulpit. Why not? Because there's, there may be people in our church that don't agree with that, and I want to give them time to sit under the Word for weeks and months to hear the Word, and the Word may change them as a, as a person, and they may see themselves different, God different, the world different, the nation different over time. But if you offend them on day one and they run off, the Word never has a chance to work in their life. The Holy Spirit never has a chance to work in their life. And by the way, whatever you posted on social media ain't going to change them anyway. <laughs> not, that's not changing anybody's opinion anyway. Now, please understand, that's just a quick, we could do a whole sermon on that kind of thinking. I'm not, so, but my point is, as a pastor, I've had to learn, yeah, I may have strong opinions about certain things, but I might want to avoid that for a minute until I can get you to hear and understand some of these other things and let God change you, let His Word change you, let the Holy Spirit change you. And then you may begin to see a whole host of other things different. But if I run you off on day one because we're going to disagree about something, then there's never even the time or the chance for the Spirit to really work in your life. Now, there are certain things uh, that you can't do that with because they're just too important. Right? You, you, there are just certain things you can't avoid talking about. 
And so you can err on the other side where you never talk about anything offensive. You never talk about anything divisive. Well, you can't err on that side either. But there are certain things that just aren't that important and they're not worth fighting over. And I would rather you stick around to let God work on you before I just run you off and offend you over something dumb. So that's kind of what I think is going on here. I think Paul is thinking, well, if I can appease in this little way, this vow thing that they want me to do, whatever, and and it gives me a chance to have a door into their life and I can begin explaining this revelation and I can begin teaching them this, then that'll be worth it. Because I'll set this aside. I don't really want to do it, but I'll do it so that I'll have a chance to really bring the gospel into their lives and impart something to them. So I think that that is what is going on. Uh, We can get a lot of insight into Paul's thinking on this from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read that, and then we're going to be done tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, Paul explains something sort of similar to this. He says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I'm not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Now, you'd have to read the whole book to know why he's being so <laughs> kind of aggressive right here. But, but he's making these points um, for a reason. He says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Talking about apart from the law, okay, the customs of the law, to eat and drink apart from the customs of the law. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers and the Lord and Peter? And and basically what he's saying is I abstain from a lot of things, not because they're wrong, like, he's, like he mentions a believing wife. He says, I'm, I'm single. I'm alone. I'm traveling alone all the time. You think I like being alone? No. I don't like being alone. Do I not have the right to bring along a believing wife just like Peter and some of the other apostles do? He's saying, but I set aside those rights for a reason. It's not, and it's not because they're wrong. But he said, I set them aside for a reason. He's going to explain that reason to us in just a minute. Uh, We're going to skip down to verse 15. There's a lot of information in between, but we just don't have time. Verse 15. But I've made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. Verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. You got to understand what he's saying here. He's saying, I have freedom in Christ to eat a certain way, act a certain way, do certain things. But when I get around people that don't understand that or they don't believe that, I restrict myself. I put restrictions on myself, even though I'm totally free to do it. I put restrictions on myself so that I may reach them. Now, that's, a, that's the attitude of maturity. Whereas you have other people running around going, well, I'm free to do this. I know there ain't nothing wrong with it. I don't care how anybody sees it. I'm going to do it anyway. Well, Paul said, no, my focus is winning 
people for Christ, winning people for God. So even though I'm actually free, I've made myself a servant that I might win more of them. Verse 20, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. See, I think he's talking about this situation that we're, that we're just reading about. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Not being myself under the law. Another affirmation there. He didn't, he, he didn't consider himself under the law. Being myself, uh, though not being myself under the law. That I might win those under the law. I became like those under the law. That I might win those under the law. Even though I wasn't under the law. And I was under no obligation to follow the law. Verse 21. To those outside the law. I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. The bottom line is that the mission was bigger than Paul being right or having to have his way on every particular thing. I don't think he wanted to take that vow. I don't think he wanted to do that. But he had this mindset that the mission is so important that any possible area that I can make a concession or I can yield or I can bend or I can have unity so that people can be one for the gospel, then that's what I'm going to do. And that was, his, that was his mindset. Now, I definitely have had to learn this. I have definitely had to learn this. And I, I learned very early in ministry that you will never have unity in a church, among churches, among pastors. You will never have unity unless you first understand this. And, and if you have to have your way on every little thing, well, I'm right about this, and we're going to debate, and we're going to argue, and I'm not yielding on that, or I'm not giving up ground because this is right, you know. And so sometimes people don't understand that. You know, you may, like sometimes uh, churches may work together that they don't agree on everything. And people think, well, well, why are we working with them? They don't think the way that we think on that. That doesn't matter. That we think like on the main things. And the other stuff we got to put aside. Or else nothing will ever get done. And the mission won't ever get done. So it's not about having every single thing right. It's about having the core things right. And on everything else, you just have to yield and be flexible and work with for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of people. I think the church has done, quite frankly, an awful job at this. I mean, I mean, that's why we have 5,000 denominations. I'm just making up a number. I don't know how many it is, but just tons of denominations because, well, we agreed on 95%, but this one thing, oh, well, you don't, well, we're just going to go off and start a whole new denomination. And then they split off and split off and split off until you got, you got this, you know, Baptist, you got Southern Baptist, you got Pado Baptist, you got all these different, it's like, my goodness, I've lost track of how many, you know, different things. And, and if you really get down to it, they probably actually agree on about 95%. And and in the little bit we disagree on, we've let it just rip apart the body of Christ. Now, we're not going to solve that tonight. Just for clarity, I will say we are non-denominational, so we don't participate in all that crazy stuff. But, okay, I just will say that. But 
that's, that's been an issue, and I think, I think Satan's been very heavily involved in that. And I think the, the, the greatest thing that he would want is for us to be busy fighting one another instead of fighting the mission and living the mission and accomplishing things. And so I think that's why Paul did what he did. He doesn't want to be enemies with the Jews. He doesn't want to fight with them. He, he wants to give space and time for them to come to the understanding that he has. And in the meantime, I'll make concessions. And, and I'll do what I need to do to try to have unity, even though... You know, it didn't work out anyway. They still got upset. And then that's just how it goes sometimes. So I think for us, just a couple quick rules. Number one, the mission has to be bigger than our personal pet peeves, our personal desire, our personal thing. You know, you may disagree on some things. You know, I mean, I've had people, we've had people leave the church because we, we baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit instead of baptizing in the name of Jesus only. I mean, and you have it both way in scriptures, right? You have in the book, in the Matthew 28, the, he said, go in all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, all three. You got, uh, in the book of Acts, you got instances where they only baptize in the name of Jesus. Do anybody think that's a reason to argue over? <laughs> I mean, if, and I know nobody here is doing it, but I'm just saying the silly things that people can get over on. and like, well, we're going to argue over that. We're going to leave. And I'm like, man, just please, let's get focused on the main thing. Let's get focused on the main thing here. Okay, because why? The mission is bigger than any one person just being right. And what we need to do is keep the mission as the focus. And also, love. The God kind of love should guide everything. Should guide what we do and how we act. And I think that's what Paul was trying to do again in this instance was trying to trying to love one another so that the mission could be first. Amen.